So can you please introduce yourself for me and tell me a fun fact about you? Sure, I'm uh, Prentice uh, from the band Vistas and uh, I'm colorblind. My next question for you is an icebreaker that we had at our freshman orientation. The question is, if you can be any item in the kitchen, what would you be and why? Oh, um, I'd probably be, I'd probably be a French press, uh, or like a you know like a cafeteria like that you make coffee in, because uh, I don't know just because I like coffee and I like French presses, so probably just that's for that reason alone probably just that. That's pretty cool. Um, I said I'd be a knife because I have a sharp blade. That's terrible. <laughs> That's so terrible. <laughs> okay, so I listened to your album in full, and I have to say it was probably one of my favorite albums during quarantine. Oh, thanks. Very kind. Thank you very much. I personally loved the kind of story that went through the album. At least that's what I got from it. I love listening to albums in full. I feel like a lot of people don't do that as much anymore. And it was such a pleasure to listen to something that was kind of like upbeat and happy during this such depressing time. So can you tell me a little bit about the story behind the creation of the album? Yeah, sure. Well, it was, um, the album was sort of written over maybe a kind of year and a half to sort of two year period um, from, you know, maybe like sort of early 2018. Um, and it was just, it, it, all of the songs were written just in the process of us, you know, going on tour and like releasing music and planning to do big gigs and things like that. So the this, the songs themselves kind of document the progress of Vistas, I guess, from when we were like, oh, let's try and let's try and get some songs together to get an album. And then when we actually recorded it. So that's that's sort of the creation of it, I guess. And and the the sort of themes maybe or the story that kind of runs through it is about it's sort of about your that period between your sort of last teenage years before you move into adulthood and then when you reach adulthood you're kind of nostalgic for your teenage years but then you're also looking forward to what's happening but what's 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 going to happen in, in the future in your life but it's a bit scary because you're nobody really sort of prepares you for those kind of early adolescent years uh so yeah, um, that's sort of that's sort of the main themes of, of the record. Yeah, I thought it was something so personal in a sense because it's the band's experience, but at the same time, it relates to so many people just based on the message and the story alone. Especially through the lyrics, I thought the lyrics paired extremely well with the composition of the the um, instrumentals. Just they balance each other so well. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. So my next question for you is, what is your favorite part of a song that you've written? Um, I think for for when we play it live, um, in retrospect, uh, which is which is on the album as well, but it's all, it was one of the songs, one of the two songs we actually re-recorded for the album. But um, so we played that song live like hundreds and hundreds of times now, um, and uh, after the second chorus, um there's a sort of like a kind of heavy guitar solo-y sort of bit. Um, and then halfway through that, there's like a stop where the full band stops and goes in complete silence for like a brief second. And when we do that live, that's one of the moments I always look forward to the most because it's like a really good feeling when, you, when you're just like, you're playing a gig and you're like, we're really tight as a band and everything. And that moment, you, you can't really slip up because it's just literally just just complete silence. So. I think um, that's like one of my favorite moments in in the songs, just that little tiny little gap, like 
and I mean, it's just silence, but I really, I really, really enjoy it. It's probably great live just because you can probably hear the echo in the room of the sound. Yes, for sure. That's fantastic. Occasionally, occasionally you can hear people, like, occasionally you can hear people's conversations because it's just like loud, loud silence. And then people, it's like it's that thing in movies where like it goes silent and then someone says something really embarrassing, really loud, and then it goes, goes back in. I mean, that's never actually happened, but like, <laughs> that's kind of what I want to happen. That's so cool. I wish I could experience that live currently, but same. <laughs> so what is your favorite part of the recording process? Um, oh, I don't know. I, I, I love recording. Like I absolutely love um, being in the studio and stuff. And I think uh, for the album recording, we were in um, a residential studio, which is the first time we've really, we'd, we'd ever done that. And I just loved it. I thought it was great. Just sort of, um, we we the studio we're in was like a converted like church building, um, and then up the stairs they had our bedrooms and stuff, and that's where we were sleeping. I just, it was just really cool to be like up the stairs, and then if you had a little idea or whatever, you could just go down no matter what time of the day it was. Like it could be the middle of the night, and you could just jot stuff down. Um, so I don't know. I I love like I love. I love just seeing it all come together. Like you lay down the drums and then you put the bass on top of it. And then gradually the song just builds out more and more. And I think some of the most special moments in the studio are when someone just has an idea and they go, Oh, let's just, I don't know. Let's just try and put this over the top of it. We've never tried it before. Let's just try it. And then you, you hear it and it completely just takes the song up another level. So little moments like that are great, but yeah, I'm, as well as playing live, I can't wait to get back into the studio. I'm really looking forward to that. I feel like in the studio, it's nice to sometimes hear all of the isolated parts come together for like the first mm. time. And then, as you were saying, like those little nuances that are added just based on spur of the moment decisions make sure. sometimes so much of a difference in a track. And it can take a couple of listens sometimes to hear all of those things. No, definitely, is, yeah. That's personally one of my favorite parts of listening to an album, um, going through it so many different times to listen to all the different parts because you guys put so much work into it and it's so nice mm. and refreshing as a listener to hear so many of the different things that go into it so yeah definitely <laughs> so thank you for that <laughs> oh it's a nice pleasure so as you mentioned for the recording process that it's so kind of at least for me fascinating to see how like you guys are there and that's you're there for that whole segment of time um when you're writing the songs that you do is there a specific process that you go through? Um, I, I usually, I usually tend to to, um, I just kind of write something based on an, an idea that I that I get. So anything just sort of pops into my head, I'll um just record it in my voice notes on my phone, and then I'll usually I'll usually go back and listen to stuff, and then if I go, oh that's good, then I'll then I'll try and work on it, and then you know fifty percent of the time it might become a song. 50% of the time it's maybe just not that good an idea um, so that's usually how I do it I usually I usually do the, the, the music first and then the words last um, and yeah and I think it's nice as well that like um, I, I write as well with um, the chap who produced our album so I write who's called Rich Turvey so I write a bunch of songs with him and you know from working with him uh, not only in the recording studio but then also when we write together and stuff, I picked up a lot of um, knowledge into how to make my demos actually sound the way I kind of want them to, which 
allows allows you to write in a way that is suited for the studio so that when when you're going in you've got the parts worked out and things like that and you've already you've already started those ideas of oh maybe we could have keyboards here or maybe we could have tambourine here or things like that so i think from i think from working on my my writing has definitely improved as a result of getting slightly better at making demos and production and things like that so yeah i love that i love how you mentioned that it kind of goes through this whole type of process and i've honestly never heard that before from anyone that when you're writing you're intentionally thinking of okay maybe this can go here based on all the different factors like you mentioned like tambourine can go on a song and like you put spaces in the song in your head for those kinds yeah of no i think it's i think it's important because um because it like it kind of cuts down on some of the some of the work when you're in the sh in the actual studio um, because you've formed those ideas before, and then also I think in the studio as well it could be quite a it could be quite a high pressure environment because everyone wants to play the best that they can and everyone wants to get the best takes down their best you know the best drum takes the best bass guitar takes the best vocal takes so if you're not having to worry about like if you've got everything worked out beforehand then you can just focus on giving your best performance so I think that I think that lends itself quite well to getting the best out of a recording as well. Earlier, you mentioned voice notes, so we actually have a question that relates to this. Um, our PR director, Grace, came up with it, and the question, I'll give it a little backstory first, came up because of the little peep songs that were released, how they kind of sounded like unfinished bedroom demos, and then hmm. Mac Miller's Circles came out, which had approval from his family and the producer he worked with. So the question is, what is your opinion on releasing an artist's unreleased music after they've passed away? Should it be released or should it not? Um, no, I think I think if um, I think it's obviously dependent on the person, um, and um, yeah, as, as I say, I think it, I think it's definitely based on the person. I think the people who are closest to that person would know if um, if that's the if if the, the person who passed away if, if they would want people to hear this music. Um, maybe if it's something that you know is. Um, it's maybe slightly too personal or whatever um, then I guess people's family members or partners or friends or, or whoever's whoever's closest to them would be able to make that call to be like maybe maybe we'll keep this one just for just for ourselves and just to just to hold this person's memory but if there's like little songs and stuff that you know could have could have been really great um, then I think I think that's really cool I mean like there there's um the UK band Viola Beach, who's like very sadly passed away um, four or five years ago now, um, like they put out a record and uh, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff was demos or things that had been, you know, they'd done like live sessions or something and then people had remixed and remastered them so that he sounded a bit more um, like studio standards. And I think that was really great because, you know, um, those young guys didn't actually get to release their album um, because of like you know the horrible circumstances of what happened but it let all of their fans get them the album that they would have put out and it's an absolutely great album and um so yeah i mean essentially in a long-winded sort of way i've just said it's i guess it's dependent on the on the person really but yeah for sure I, 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 like I, I i think it's okay like um broadly oh you know as a fan you always want to hear more music 
um, our question is always, yeah, really. would the artist have actually been happy with what was released? I know mm -hmm. this is so tricky because of everything. And we've noticed that it's kind of been happening a little bit more recently um, and more frequently than we would like. Um, and the reason why we ask this is we want to bring up the concept of artist wills and putting this into a contract. Since, as you said, right. everyone's different and everyone has different thoughts on what can be touched and what cannot be touched and what should be used and what shouldn't. So we think that the artist should have a say in some form. I, yeah, that's no, that's saying that's actually really interesting. I never really, I never really thought about that. I mean, um, you know, I like. I mean, th there are like massive artists who uh, have obviously passed away, and there will be a sort of breadth of material that hadn't been released. So, and because you know, it's that artist's intellectual property. Then uh, I, I think no, that is it's actually a really a really interesting point, and I totally never thought about that before. Um, yeah, m maybe that should be kind of looked at more, more so when a will is created. If if an artist is maybe sitting on like a pile of music that hasn't been released or whatever, then they were they were able to write that in and say, "I'd want tracks five, six, and seven released, but not the rest of it or or whatever." So just yeah, no, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like Prince, I think has a vault of unreleased music. Oh yeah, no, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, absolutely. So it's pretty interesting to see like. I don't personally know if any of it's actually been released recently, but mm. it exists somewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, it's it's. Um, I, I'm sure that will be something that will be looked at, you know, more, um, and uh, hopefully it can bring about like positive change in in the sense that the, the fans of the artist get a little piece, a little bit more music after that person's passed, and then the person that's passed away is their sort of legacy is maintained in the way they would want it to be maintained. Um, so yeah, for sure. Then no, that's a cool idea. Can you describe your band sound for me in three words? Um, Scottish, upbeat, um, indie, I guess. <laughs> like when we, when we were making the track listen for the, for the record, because we had, um, you know, I had like 20 or well, 20 plus demos that we were, picking from to, to make the, you know, eventual 12 track album. And we were pretty conscious that we didn't want every song to have the the sort of the strokes tempo drum beat behind it, where it's just like fast drums. We did, we were quite conscious of, you know, let's make sure that we've got slightly different feels on the album. So you get that on Summer and then Shout and You and Me and things like that, which is contained again in amongst, there's lots of fast indie songs on there, but um, we wanted it to kind of feel like a sort of live gig where you have, you know, the way you sort of traditionally structure a live gig is a big, a big, a big opening sort of like section of bangers and slightly slower and then close with some more bangers and then a longer track to end the set. So that's kind of what we wanted to roughly structure it like that. Um, and I think, I think like, I'm actually really happy with the track list and I think it does flow together quite well. I agree. I love how they all kind of lead into the first song always leads into the next song in a way where it's where you're listening to it and you're like oh okay we're just continuing on this type of journey it's not like it's there's this break up in the track listing i've noticed that lately in some other oh, that's artists. Good. <laughs> so i thought that was very very refreshing to hear that it's Thanks. just kind of continuing in this beautiful way thank you so my next question for you 
is how did you know that you wanted to be involved in music? Was there a moment where you like, this is it, this is what I want to do? Well, the, the first the first bit of music that I ever, well, the first involvement I ever had in music was, um, was playing the violin when I was in uh, primary school, which is, uh, is that elementary school in America? Is that what it's called? So, um, so when I was in that and I absolutely hated playing the violin so much, I absolutely hated it. And when I got into secondary school or uh, high school, sorry, um, then then I was still playing the violin and I was kind of like, ah, maybe it's all right, but I kind of just wanted to give it up. But my, my parents were like, just stick with it. You, you know, it's a good skill to have, I guess, just being able to read music and stuff. So I just stuck with it. And then when I got into music class in school, we learned the guitar and uh, we learned a couple of like Beatles songs just playing chords. And I was like, this is great. I was just thought it was really cool. I didn't even know, I didn't know the Beatles songs before we learned them or anything like that. So it wasn't even like I was like, oh, this is cool because I like this song. I just thought it was really cool to be able to sing and then accompany yourself on an instrument. And then from that point onwards, I was like, yeah, this is this is really cool. And that's when I started to get into bands. Like um, the Strokes particularly were like a big one for me. Um, and I was just like, yeah, this is, uh, there's something here where I was like, this this could be really cool. And then eventually just like I started to write, I started to write pretty terrible songs. But um, when I started playing them with my friends, I got, I got a sense that I was like, there's something here that just is more, it's just better than anything else that, that I want to do. So that, that's what really inspired me. And since, since I've been about 15, I've kind of always just wanted to be in a band. I wasn't really too interested in being by myself, like playing, you know, just singing, singing and playing the guitar. I was so much more interested in just being involved with three or four other musicians and just playing live. I just, yeah. So being in a band, um, so learning the guitar and then just sort of getting the experience of being in a band is what really just drove me to want to do music as much as I could. I like to say that the instrument picks the person, not necessarily the person picks the instrument. There you go, yeah. I feel like it's more common than you'd think just because things kind of fall into place in a way where it's like, okay, this is this is, this is it. Um, yeah. I love how you said you started playing the violin first. Um, oh, <laughs> I think... I've still got it. Hmm? I've still got the violin, but really? I, I've not played it I'll play it in a long time. Maybe that can feature on album two. Who knows? <laughs> um, I do agree that it does help with the introduction of like this is this is how to read music, and mm -hmm. I have a quick question. In I guess high school here, you said secondary school. Sure. Is it common to learn the guitar in school? Well, in our, in in my school in music class, so like that's so everybody take like everyone in the whole year group takes music class. Okay. Um, and you do you do like a three week block where you like learn the guitar, and you do like a three week three week block where you learn the keyboard. Like so, it's just like a little introduction to all of them. Um, but then when you've been at high school for two years, then you get the choice: you can either continue to do music, or you can like stop your music if you're not into it or whatever. So, but our our school was actually really musical, so a lot the the music classes were actually pretty big. Like a lot of people did continue on with it as they got like older like towards the end of school and stuff as well that's so interesting because where i am um in fourth grade you get tested to see if you have some sort oh. of musical ability all right wow there you go 
and then you get fitted for an instrument that then becomes yours for however long oh, you're in band. So you don't get to pick your instrument. They, they give you the instrument. Kind of like you make a list of three instruments you think you would want to play, and then they go, oh, no, 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 you're doing this one. So, yeah, yeah, wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. It's, it's, much more, it's much more casual in Scotland. You can kind of, well, in the UK, you can, you can kind of sort of pick and choose and... Um, for your exam as well, you have to do two instruments. So you have to you have to get good on one, and then you play like. So for your exam, you play like a longer piece of music on your good one, and then your second one, you play like a short piece of music. But you still have to learn two. So I get that's probably a good thing, I guess. Yeah, that's so cool. I um, I was in band when I was in school, and my senior year, I was fortunate enough to take a class where we learned every wind and brass instrument. Oh, oh cool. I can't play them adequately well. I can probably only play like hot cross buns on most of them. <laughs> but it was it was fun to learn the different instruments because I only read treble clef beforehand, so it was nice to learn. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, no, I, and I, I think like um, I, I would say like learning just a little bit about sort of music and music theory does help like a lot, um, and I think like. For me, particularly learning about chords and chord structures and chord sequences has been really handy in learning, you know, even even just even just being able to listen to a song and realize what I like about it, like musically. I think that has been a big help. But, I mean, obviously, it's, it doesn't work for everyone because there's loads of people who are self-taught and don't know how to read music at all, and they're amazing musicians. So it's just, uh, it just again, it's just different for different folk. That's so true. I feel like music theory does help in a sense because I've noticed at least those who have a musical theory background are able to kind of not always do what everyone else is doing in a sense, like changing up time signatures or keys and things like that. So it's always interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, if you, as I was sort of saying, if you can recognize, like, particularly when you're writing or something like that, if you if you know if you write something you go oh that sounds like this other thing if you're able to work out why it sounds like that other thing then it's maybe slightly easier to change it and then make it slightly more original or in your own style so for me anyway music theory has helped in, in writing and stuff but yeah again might not work for everyone so my next question for you is what musician inspires you to be a better musician um i don't know just just like um i, I think when you go on tour with a band, um, you definitely get inspired to do a lot of different things. Like we, we went on tour um, with a band called Circle Waves, um, uh, and that was like that was like a big tour for us. We were playing, you know, supporting them in big big venues, and just seeing the way that they, they, they were a band that we look up looked up to when we were, you know, uh, when we were like seventeen and stuff. So. For, for one, being on tour with them was re really exciting and everything. But then also just seeing the way that they, like, they know how to, they know how to structure a set. They know how to like make. They know when the crowd's going to go crazy for a particular song, or whatever. So when you go on tour with a band, you, uh, particularly if you're supporting them, um, it's like quite quite easy, I think, to look up to what they're doing and stuff. So, like on that tour, I think we learned a lot from Circle Waves just in terms of how to be a kind of solid indie performing band and things um so yeah i mean i don't know like i know it sounds quite cheesy but like uh 
Jamie and Dylan, who are my my two bandmates, like I do get I do get inspired by them as well because we all we all kind of bounce off each other um, in a sort of live gig setting, and we always just want to make our gigs as good as they can be. So um, yeah, and 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 I've played with other people and I've played in different bands with other people, but I've never enjoyed it as much, and I've never got the same sort of feeling, and I don't think. I'm as good if I'm not playing with Jamie and Dylan. So, like, so yeah, th- them probably as well. It's kind of like you all make each other better, or like play off. I'd say so. Out. Yeah, definitely. I. And I think you're a hundred percent right by saying like bands tour that people tour with, and even just looking up to people in the local, more local scene. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of challenge challenges everyone to become better. And I think that speaks volumes for the music industry going forward, since it's not always, oh, what's on the radio is what's making people want to be like, okay, this this is what's next or what to do. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more, really. I mean, I remember when we were, you know, 15 playing in the local venues in in Edinburgh, um, and we'd, you know, we'd, we'd support like a local band. And then I remember... I remember we'd watch the show and then we'd like we'd like all kind of almost like analyze it as if it was like a piece of like um piece of like academic work or something we'd be like what what made that like that bassist was like jumping about the stage we have to do stuff like that so um i think i think being a young band and playing shows as much as you can like will definitely just make you better because you'll see gigs you'll see how crowds react to gigs and stuff so um so as you say like just getting out there going to local venues supporting local bands watching local bands like it does it does make a difference for you as a player as well what is the local scene like where you are um it's not it's not too bad i mean um edinburgh is uh edinburgh is like slightly well quite a bit smaller than glasgow which is the other uh well the, the other big big city in in scotland um and at the moment, the Glasgow music scene is really thriving. There's loads and loads and loads of bands who are, you know, getting getting signed to labels and getting picked up by management and playing festivals, like playing festivals not just in the UK, but like playing festivals abroad and things like that. So the Glasgow music scene particularly is, is really thriving. And Edinburgh is is good, but it kind of it had limitations put on it because, um, because all of the venues have to shut down live music at 10 p.m so and there's like a very very like very strict curfew about that um and it's not the venue's fault because if the venues i'm sure if the venues could they would have the live music go on later but they get pretty heavily fined if the music goes on till you know 10 30 11 p.m whatever so it kind of doesn't it's not a very kind of rock and roll sort of experience going to see a, a local band in Edinburgh because the opening act is on about seven o'clock, which is, you know, that's kind of like, as like dinner time, like people have their, their dinner about it. Then it's not a very sort of rock and roll sort of thing. And the headline band has to be finished before 10 o'clock. And, you know, most headline bands, if you play a gig in Glasgow or the rest of the UK, you don't usually go on stage till about 10 o'clock. So um, unfortunately, Edinburgh kind of has those limitations put upon it. Um, but there is still a thriving music scene. There's lots of local bands. Um, there's good places to rehearse and there's um, good producers and things like that and as a city Edinburgh is you know very artistic and it's it's home obviously to the 
the, the Fringe Festival, which is like the biggest art festival in the whole world. So, um, so yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, uh, there can be, you know, there can be a bit more of a resurgence of new and kind of local bands in Edinburgh um, over the next few while. But yeah, Glasgow particularly is, is doing amazing in Scotland, uh, music wise just now. I didn't know that, that at 10 p.m. Um, they couldn't play. They could stop. Oh, it's rubbish. Yeah, oh. absolutely rubbish. It's weird as well because it doesn't, it doesn't make it, to me, it doesn't make any sense because then after 10 p.m., the club nights always start. But, um, and you know, club nights can be very, very loud. So I don't, I don't know what it is about live music particularly that has to stop at 10 p.m. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's such a, such a strict thing like if you from from playing gigs in edinburgh once once if you're the headline band once you've pretty much walked off stage someone will be through the back telling you to immediately start packing up and getting stuff in your van so it's not the most fun experience and i can imagine as well for bands who come on tour and they play edinburgh it can't be that fun an experience so they probably much rather play in glasgow so yeah who knows the the, the council in edinburgh can be a little bit a little bit strict on things like that but yeah is what it is I asked this because where I'm from, um, we don't really have a local music scene at all. Right, okay, sure. <laughs> um, we have like one venue that will let the band play if you're lucky. So right. It's interesting to see how every place has their own type of like music culture. And I should probably preface, I'm from Staten Island, New York, even though I'm part of the city, we don't really have a scene in our borough. A big scene, sure, right, okay, fair. Yeah, well, the music scene in New York is obviously really good. Um, we we were we were meant to go out and play the New Colossus Festival in New York before. Um, obviously, that got yeah. Well, there was like two days of it or whatever, but then it got cancelled. But but our flights got cancelled anyway, so we couldn't go. But um, but uh, yeah. So like, fingers crossed, we'll get to play in New York at some time as well. New York is such an interesting scene. Um, I feel like like Brooklyn's probably where it's at. Um. For right, more okay, local fair. DIY, the city is kind of like stopover town. Well, Manhattan, yeah, it's kind of like everyone okay. just kind of goes there and plays there. That's like a bigger name or somebody coming to visit, but they don't really have this like local scene. So it's always, okay. yeah, it's it's a time. And I always kind of get upset. I travel to Jersey for shows just because it's close All to right, where nice. I live. Um, and it always upsets me because School of Rock was filmed on my campus. <laughs> that's class well when you say when you asked uh, oh, what inspired you to be in music the truthful answer is actually the School of Rock movie really? but I didn't want to say so, <laughs> so they... yes um, we're at Jack Black's kind of in the van pulling up to the, the school building that's where I had class oh that's well funny that's class so it's like so iconic and it's inspired so many people and then here we are with like nothing. <laughs> I know. It's yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, I never realized the impact the movie had on people until I like, started like talking to people about it. Because after a while, like it's just the building I have class in. It's kinda hard to remember that mm. something so eventful was there and yeah, it's it's upsetting to think about it and be like, oh, we don't we don't do that. Like <laughs> we should, but we no, don't. That is a shame. That is a shame. I, I mean, I could I could probably pretty confidently say that every person who I've ever met in a UK band would be able to quote some lines from School of Rock. I'm, I'm pretty sure I could say that with with confidence. 
So I want to know a little bit more about you. So what music are you currently listening to? Uh, well, I've been listening to the new Strokes album that they brought out, um, which was really cool. Um, and I think it's good. It kind of it kind of shows that even after all like these years and all the different solo projects and stuff, like when they come together, they can still just make like great music that just sounds like the Strokes. Um, so that that was really good. And um, I've gotten into the band Gang of Youths, who are from uh, Australia. Um, so I've gotten into them quite a lot, just just in passing. Um, but I, to be honest, at the moment, I'm tend tend to listen to a lot more podcasts at the moment than I'm listening to just tunes. And I think that's because I'm I've been like so involved with our album and everything that like my sort of appetite for music has has dwindled a wee bit at the moment. So I always go through phases of stuff like that. Um, but there's, I, I would I would say the Strokes album I was like really impressed by when that came out. What is your favorite album in your personal collection? And by personal personal collection, I mean you physically own the album. Um, physical, physical one. I mean, I've got uh, I've got is this it? Like, um, the, the Strokes first record. I've got that. Um, like, because I don't I don't have like tons of vinyl. Um, but like, so so that would probably be that maybe my like maybe my actual favorite record which is like one of my favorite records that i've had for ages and ages is i've got the i've got the live cd of um when green day did their like their american idiot tour um so i've got what they they recorded this one of the sets that they played uh, in england when they did that tour and i used to listen to that cd like all the time and uh like whenever i've gone through a period of like clearing out CDs or giving CDs to Charlie or whatever. I've always kept that one. So I'd maybe say that's one of my favorites. That's so cool. Um, I feel like the albums people own or decide to actually purpose say a lot about who they are. I know yeah, that's sure. so strange. But, um, I don't know. I, I personally think that like if you take the time to purchase an album in full or listen to an album in full and then be like, yes, I need to physically have a copy, it's something special in and of itself. Mm -hmm. yeah well with with the kind of resurgence of vinyl as well it gives people like much more of a a physical thing because like cause you, you know you can you can buy like vinyl frames and stuff if you just want the artwork on your wall or whatever so like uh i think as you say yeah especially now that vinyl's a lot bigger it gives people much more incentive to be like i physically want to own this in a sort of like a big a big sort of way so yeah for sure the variants of your album are so pretty. I just had to say that they look so oh, cool. Very much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really pleased how they all turned out, and uh, like, I, I like that we did three different colors for the records as well. Like, uh, I've got the white one, um, but most, most of my friends got the blue one. Um, but I, I think no, I think they all look really, really cool. I love variants because they, they're all so unique in a sense. Like, it's not mm -hmm. just the stereotypical black album and there's so much i don't know i feel like it's just something special to see like the artist took the time to be like yes this is this is what I, we want to see and it's hmm. it's amazing yeah sure well all, all of the records we've um apart from our ep which we just uh we did we just did the ep on just regular black vinyl but um for our first vinyl we ever put out was yellow second we ever put out was um we did like a like a splash one where it's like two different colors like melded into each other, um, 
and then obviously with with all of these we've got two color variants and then there's the classic black one as well so like I, I, yeah it's it's cool i mean um there's some like lovely looking vinyls out there as well like i've got a clear clear vinyl as well which i'd, I'd never really seen before but uh, i just saw it in a in a shop and i just picked it up i, th I think like that particularly looks amazing i think it looks really cool i think the album art helped to kind of set the tone for the album like remember like going to record stores where you're like oh this is this album art looks pretty cool let me just check it out I, it was kind of like that experience in a sense mm -hmm. no I, like I, th I think i think you're right for sure um it can like when you see a cover of a record particularly in a shop i think if it's aesthetically pleasing you're much more likely to flip it over and look look at what it might actually be um or maybe just give it a try so and and some some of the best albums like ever have really good album artworks as well so you know the two the two don't necessarily go hand in hand but a lot of the time they do so yeah that's cool as well so how did you pick the album cover art for your debut album sure well um well we we kind of wanted to theme everything around initially around sort of like a blue sky and clouds and that's where um that's where everything sort of stemmed from um, we were originally going to going to use um these big sort of like prop clouds um that you, you would use in um like if you were putting on a theater show or whatever um and they're essentially just big big balls of cotton wool um so we were initially going to use them and try and sort of photograph them in places but it was proven it was proven really difficult to get them to look realistic enough that it didn't just look like we were holding it on a string or whatever um so we were like that's probably not going to work so we continued on with the with the sort of cloud idea and then and then we we got some of the some of the inspiration we got was from collages um and that's where everything just sort of stemmed from from there and we put out a we put out a brief on um this website called creative commission which is a like a really good a really good website for um like self-employed creative people to to find work in photography and design and uh, video editing and things like that so um so we put out a brief on there and then um this chap called jared who's from uh, he's from cape town and um he just sent over a little like example of what stuff he sort of does and we were like yeah this looks great um, and then we just worked with him on on everything um, and the, the whole the, the whole thing of having swimming pools where the water was replaced with clouds just kind of became a theme for the the whole record um, and and yeah that's it we we wanted to just make everything look sort of nostalgic um, but also summery as well um, and bright and blue and um, I think it's nice as well that we've we've sort of maybe like slightly unintentionally but like we've carved this sort of aesthetic for ourselves with this record because like even the press shots that we've used are like shot against like a blue sky background when we were out just taking the pictures we were in a studio as well but we got better pictures just being outside against the blue sky and stuff so it's nice how that all kind of ties in um, and I like the collage as well because you can you can take one element from a picture that you really like cut it out edit it, reshape it, and then put it in on top of another element or something else that you like. Um, and it's cool as well, because all of the collages were done physically. 
Um, so, so they all exist in Jared's workshop. Um, and then the actual final thing is a picture of the of the physical collage. So that's just a nice little detail as well, I think. It's like this nice little personal touch that you don't really hear about most of the time, which is so cool yeah. to see that. Um, my next question for you is, if you could change one thing about the music industry as it is today, what would it be and why? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think that I think it does need to be like. There, there's a lot of things which in the music industry are are pretty, you know, they're pretty unfair and pretty difficult and stuff. Um, and I think there definitely needs to be a a kind of like a change a change in viewpoint in terms of like diversity within festivals and things like that um for you know the, the gender balance of festivals is pretty one-sided and obviously that's again that's difficult for for me to put this point across because i i and my band have obviously benefited from that um but yeah i think i think it is it's it's interesting when you when you see a lineup that is essentially 50 50 gender balanced that you go nobody looks at that lineup and goes that's not a good lineup but it's it's sort of the the idea that i think i think when people who are who maybe don't don't really care or aren't really interested or not bothered by it when they hear that the that people are striving for a kind of 50 50 uh sort of gender split uh, from rs on a lineup they probably think in their heads it's not going to be good but when you do see these festivals like with those lineups it's never like that so i think that's what i maybe change is just kind of the sort of general attitude towards that that the good acts get booked because they're really good so it doesn't it, it like if, if female acts get booked for a festival it's not just because they're females because they're very good they're good musicians people want to see them play and things so i just guess that sort of general attitude um and it is something that i have noticed is changing in the uk um there is more balanced lineups on festivals now um so yeah and again as i say it's difficult for me to kind of be like like because i really want to play festivals as well and so do so do loads of bands but um but i think i think once that sort of playing field is leveled i think it will actually make for much a much better festival experience for everyone um so that's that's one thing that i think is changing and probably you know will will we will in the next couple of years see that much more i think anyway um and yeah and, and as well just it, it's i think a, a sort of general shift in the kind of attitude of like looking at a, a musician as like a proper real job um and and like paying acts fairly and things i think uh one thing that 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 makes touring really hard when you're a small band is that you, when you play a venue you don't get fed or you you know you, and you don't get paid very much so um i think that's one thing that i would maybe change is just like just like venues thinking well how can we support smaller acts when they come from you know halfway across the country to play a 30 minute set maybe we should just give them some dinner or something like that that's 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 another little detail that I think is uh, 
it's slightly overlooked um, because you get paid like so little money to play the show then if you're having to also dip into your own pocket or the band's pocket to feed yourselves and then you know fuel your fuel your van and then pay for hotels it really really stacks up so um so yeah th- those are those are two things that that have always kind of like like been been part of our sort of thought process being in a band i have my own slight gripes with uh, how bills are created for tours um i've noticed at least in america this has happened more frequently a lot of bills are created based on Spotify monthly listeners. All oh, right. Yeah, I personally don't think, as a fan, I should be seeing a band's Spotify monthly listeners. Like, obviously, keep it for the band and the business, but I feel like it's shifting perceptions so much that it's influencing who gets on a bill because sometimes you have the same three bands on this different tours, and it's the same bill every time. It's like, why? Well, the, the thing is as well, the monthly listeners don't, they, they do not translate necessarily into ticket sales or like how big a band is live. Um, you know, there, there's like, um, you know, particularly if you look at, if you look at some people who have had recently really big success on their Spotify as a result of a song going viral on TikTok, um, but they maybe, they maybe wouldn't be able to sell a hundred tickets, but they've got like millions and millions of monthly listeners. So I think looking at monthly listeners is obviously like is obviously an important thing now because Spotify is so um, prevalent within the music industry and how people get booked. But you kind of do have to take it with a pinch of salt and also look at the band in terms of well, how big venues did they play on their last tour? How what are they playing on this tour? You know, um, so that is a good point. I didn't I didn't know festivals kind of were sort of stacked in that way in the US somewhat. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, I. I don't know. I don't even know why. I feel like it's maybe managers or, yeah, I guess managers or booking agents kind of going, yeah, they have a lot of listeners. They'll do well on a festival or a tour. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just like, it's a way to, it's sort of like, well, this band's got this many points. This band's got this many points. That one's got more than that one. So we'll just book that one. But it doesn't, it doesn't, monthly listeners, as we're sort of saying, don't translate into, ticket sales necessarily it does it doesn't always work like that i feel like uh here at least it's definitely 100 percent true like people won't necessarily come out to a show because yeah the band i like is playing but i only know one song like i don't know it's, oh. it's so strange to think that no that is strange yeah not for sure that is weird yeah and i love how you said um like some songs like go tiktok viral yeah sure <laughs> And I don't know. I feel like if I'm listening to a band for the first time, I will listen to their most listened to song, but I'll also go through an album and be like, this one doesn't have a lot of listens. Let's see what it sounds like. Because I feel like sometimes those songs are a better representation of an artist than the one that went viral. Yeah, I'm, I, and that's the thing as well, I guess. It, um, when you listen to, if you listen to the full record as opposed to, because there's lots of bands who have one really big song, but then nobody really is into any of the other stuff. Um, and I think that'll kind of give you an indication of like, because, you know, occasionally some people who aren't that good at songwriting will just come out with like an absolute bang that goes massive, but then they've got nothing to follow up with or whatever. So I think uh, like, yeah, you, you should, you should, yeah, you should definitely, if you think, well, this band's good, just delve into the back catalog and see what other songs you like. And then they might become your favorite band or you might realize that 
yeah, this is not really for me. But I do like this one song, so I'll stick that on a playlist or whatever. Yeah, I also think sometimes like singles that are released now aren't necessarily the best representation of an album sometimes because mm-hmm. you're lacking the context of why the song is what it is. And I feel like Spotify keeps promoting the single culture where people release four to five singles and then there's a seven song EP. <laughs> it's just interesting sure. to me. Oh, it's, it's, it's difficult because I mean, like, it's it's just how, it's just kind of how music is structured now. Um, and just how you kind of retain, retain sort of like a fan base and stuff is, um, and, you know, as, as I was saying there, when you're, when you're in a small band and you're touring, it's really expensive and you don't really have that much money. So um, I guess that's the benefit of Spotify in a big way is that if you're able to record a new song every three months, four months, and you can do that pretty inexpensively, even just as a small artist, then at least it gives your fans like something to, to continuously put out. Cause it is like really expensive to record an album. So if you're like a wee band, it's difficult to do that. And then, um, although Spotify doesn't pay loads, at least if your fans are streaming, you'll, you'll get a little bit of money back, which you can then put back into the band fund and then do that. So yeah, it's interesting how Spotify has kind of changed the way music is structured and released and stuff. But, um, but I think, it, I, I, personally, I do think it has allowed a lot more small bands to kind of get a fan base, which has allowed them to tour in places they maybe previously would have had no like sort of fan base in at all. But yeah, just, yeah. it's an interesting thing. I think it's great for exposure. I'm not gonna lie, I use it every day. <laughs> but I oh, definitely. do wish there were some other factors that would slightly change to be more beneficial for artists. Sure, yeah, sure. And now we have my last question. Okay. Okay. Uh, what are your goals for 2020? You can do the year or the decade. I'm going to leave that up to you. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the goal, the goal for 2020 for the rest of this year, I guess, is just to like, I don't know, just hope that the world gets back to normal. Um, and, um, I think like an achievable goal that we're really setting ourselves is just, you know, at some point being able to get back into a studio all together um, and record some new stuff because we've written lots and lots and lots, um, which is nice because we, we've, we don't usually get a period of time to just focus solely on writing a breadth of new material. So that's been really nice. Um, but then it just makes you more eager to get into a studio, which obviously we can't do at the moment. Um, and we wouldn't want to do, we wouldn't want to really do anything in a studio until it was like, until it was safe and we were able to do it in the right way because like, it's no fun if you're in a studio and then, you know, one person's got to be in one room talking to someone through a headset or whatever. And you have to, you know, be six feet apart from everyone and stuff. It's, that's not the way that like good music is going to be created and stuff. So um, yeah, I think a, a nice achievable goal for us is um is to just get back into the studio and record a, a bit of the new music that we've written um and then also we, we've got shows um booked for the end of the year which were they were um, they were meant to happen in may but um have obviously been rescheduled so fingers crossed the world is sort of in a safe place that we'd be able to play those shows again um and that would be really cool because because at that point in november our album would have pretty much been out for like six months so all our fans would like know all the words which 
if we played the shows in May, they wouldn't because the album would have only been out for a couple of days or whatever. So, um, so that's really exciting as well. Um, but again, we wouldn't really want to play those those shows unless unless it was safe because kind of the safety of our fans, the venue staff, um, and then our crew who come with us, and then ourselves, I guess. Lastly, is is really important as well, and I think live music will will come back and it will it will come back stronger and better than ever because people have really really missed it um but i think it has to be done in at the right time and in the safest way for for everyone really um otherwise if we do it at the wrong time things might go backwards as opposed to forwards which is not what anyone wants so um those are two sort of goals we're, we're really looking forward to like hopefully achieving playing a couple of shows at the end of the year and um yeah just getting in and recording eventually well, i want to thank you so much for talking with me it was such a pleasure i had a wonderful conversation so thank you oh you're very well no thank you for having me of course and i hope you enjoy the rest of your day absolutely no you too thanks again for having me you too catch you later on bye <laughs>